0: So, Hello and welcome to um, this RCSLT podcast about some of the latest things happening in our journal, the International Journal of Language and Communication Disorders or IJLCD. My name is Amit Kulkarni and I'm the Head of Research at the RCSLT, RCSLT and today I'm talking to Professor James Law and Dr Jenna Charlton about their paper which is entitled Telepractice for Children and Young People with Communication Disabilities Employing the combi model to review the intervention literature and inform guidance of practitioners. So, James and Jenna, hello.
1: Hello. Hi.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm just going to start, I guess, where all good research starts by asking you in this study of yours, um, what was the question you were asking and why were you interested in this? Okay,
1: I'll start with that one. Um, well, so this. this the whole paper started uh, to be developed once lockdown started in march 2020 because it was quite clear from the work that college was doing but also work that we were hearing about on the ground that people were switching their model of service delivery from face-to-face or you know clinic-based work let's call it that uh, to online Um, and they were reacting to what they had to do uh, but we were conscious that we didn't really know what the evidence was behind it. So we then l- started looking at what the evidence was, you know, does it work type evidence. Um, and we came across a bit of a problem that there are uh, reviews. So we, we carried out a, a review of reviews, as it were, mm-hmm. and uh, they give very mixed results from very mixed sort of studies. So we took a step back and we thought, well, is there an overarching framework we can apply to this, which would help people not only understand what people have and haven't done in the past, but also what they might do in the future? So we were trying to look backwards at the literature, but in order to look forwards to what people would be doing in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. That I can, there's such a a big time of change, wasn't it, in terms of what services were having to do and fantastic that what you were aiming to do was to really take a deep dive into not only whether telepractice could be effective but also you know under what conditions and um in what style could it be most effective um you used a review method called a rapid review and we have not a huge amount of time in these podcasts so we won't go into detail about the the review methodology here but listeners, please do refer to the paper for further information. It's um, a fantastic approach to getting a slightly quicker overview of the literature that's nonetheless um, very systematically done. Can I ask you, though, James and Jenna, why did you use this approach?
2: So obviously, as James said, within the context of COVID and um, and service delivery changing so rapidly, so quickly, um, you know, we, we were... Limited on time, but what, as you said, Amit, a, a rapid review allows you to do is to to get a, a quite a general but representative overview of the literature, yeah. um and still produce quite a rigorous, robust scientific output. But it it doesn't require any in depth analysis of data. um So, as James said before, it's a review of reviews, so it's a general overview of of the literature.
0: So, am I right in thinking that one of the reasons you chose this rapid review approach. Obviously, the rapidity is key, given the nature of the um, the changes to services, but one of the other reasons was that there were previously other systematic reviews that had happened in this area, and using your using this approach, you could pull the findings from these reviews. Have I got yes. that correct?
2: Yes, yeah. Yeah, so that using this approach, you do still pick up those systematic reviews that have previously been carried out?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, we're also trying to to read across between different uh, disabilities that we've for children. Yeah. So we want, wanted to pick out work that dealt with children with speech and language disorders, but also children with autism, children with yeah, gamma. So yeah, uh, and this allows you to do that to some extent.
0: Okay, and I presume you're focused on, you know, although you included kids with these other developmental and or sort of neurodevelopmental conditions, um, it was it was the sort of language and communication aspects of those children's development within those other reviews that was the focus, is, is that correct?
1: Well, it only, if we had autism, for example, it would only be relevant if we had language and communication outcomes for the autistic children. So that's true. In the case of uh, stammering of course, they would all have speech outcomes of some sort. Sure. Um, but we were very interested in the differences between these groups and we were sort of looking to see whether someone had done any comparisons between these groups to see which ones responded, perhaps which groups responded more appropriately to this type of approach. In fact, we didn't find studies that looked at that question, but it is a, an open question as to whether, for example, autistic children might prefer the telehealth approach because yep. it restricts the amount of distraction
0: they have. Yeah. Yeah, that's another interesting aspect of this, isn't it? But um let's let's um think about that uh, effectiveness question first. So did you find evidence that intervention that's delivered via by telehealth or telepractice can be effective?
1: Uh, yeah, there is quite a lot of evidence in the reviews from one paper to another that uh, there can be effective interventions. I would say there are quite a lot of not particularly well-designed studies in these reviews, and that makes you a little bit cautious about the interpretation. But nonetheless, there are some uh reasonably good ones and there's some positive outcomes but we found ourselves almost more interested in what it is that people weren't asking rather than what they were if you think about the does it work doesn't it work question it gets boiled down to a very binary sort of outcome and we began to look at it in a more interesting way because we were interested in the service delivery aspect
0: okay okay well i'm going to move on from my more binary question to the sort of sort of broader question of um the way you present your results is using the combi model which you've already we've already touched on could you just tell us what is the combi model and, and why did you use it to present your results and yeah, so,
1: so so the combi model was set up or developed by Uh, Susan Mitty and colleagues at UCL in London um, about 10 years ago, the first publication started coming out. Um, And essentially what it tries to get at is what are the key components of intervention? So it says, well, what do we need to know about an intervention before we even ask the question, does it work? Mm -hmm. And you can have outcomes in all these areas. So COMBI uh, stands for, the B is for behaviour. Mm-hmm. Uh, the C is for capability the O is for opportunity and the M is for uh, motivation mm-hmm. so what you're looking at is quite a high level way of looking at it now what Mich- Mickey does is she goes into much much more detail and finds well over 90 different specific behaviours that are used in interventions and those have been extended in the field of speech therapy by uh, Hillard Stringer Kate tobb Sarah Barnett and in related areas, uh, Monterey, Nickerback, for example, looking at hearing loss. Okay. Uh, so so they, they've started to be used in speech science, and I know that college uses them uh, now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it seems relevant to use this as a sort of overarching template to try and draw these papers together. Okay.
0: And it kind of, am I right in thinking it's it's essentially a sort of, as you've said, a framework that highlights the different factors that that need to be considered to allow an intervention to successfully promote a behaviour change. Is that, is that correct? The basic is you can't just tell people to change, and they will, but using mm-hmm. the Combi model, it helps you to reflect upon the, the various things that need to be considered for that intervention to promote that behaviour change.
1: Yeah, and I think you, with a lot of trials, which is what this is a lot of the stuff is based on, um, you get a does it work, doesn't it work type outcome Mm-hmm. And often you don't get enough information about how the intervention is delivered. So it's very difficult. Yeah. You know, you might say to a therapist, you know, you should be doing this because this trial works, this intervention works. But actually implementing it can be really tricky because you don't know enough about the context that you're looking at. You're just yeah. thinking, what is the, the the treatment that you're talking about?
0: Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's great that this provides some of that, some of that detail. Um and and i guess then the your reasons for using it are that it will provide that information that it that it is then this framework that's allowed you to present your findings in a way that helps slts thinking about using telepractice to ensure they are thinking about the aspects that they need to consider for that intervention to be successful so not just the actual intervention they're using be it their vocab or grammar or whatever intervention but also those things around it that are are most likely to make the telepractice approach successful.
1: That's correct but what happens with systematic reviews is in looking backwards you provide a a framework that you then apply to uh, interventions uh, as they occurred in the past but also looking forward to the future as I said before. Mm. Uh, It doesn't mean to say that Every study you look at meets the criteria, or, or for the, the COMBI model, because people didn't set up their reviews using the COMBI model, of and because the intervention studies weren't set up using the COMBI model either. So, in some ways, we are retrofitting, yeah. uh, and that's why we're looking back. And we were, and, and Jennifer can talk about this, but in some cases they. The, the results are a bit equivocal because people don't talk about
0: a lot of these things. I see, I see. OK, so let's go on to consider some of those findings then. So what What? what were your findings?
2: So, as Jim said, we mapped the COMBI elements onto these reviews that we found. We found 10 uh, relevant reviews, six of those were systematic reviews, four were narrative reviews. Um. Six focused on the use of telepractice with speech and language therapy clients in general. Two on children with who stutter, and two on with children with autism spectrum disorders.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, now, the COMBING model is split into several distinct elements that reflect, um, like physical and psychological capability, for example, um, physical opportunity and motivation ele- elements. So the two domains of Physical opportunity and reflective motivation of the combi model were the most frequently referenced categories. Although between okay. those, the reference, the reflective motivation elements were the ones that were actually observed in reviews. To some extent, they were measured. To some extent,
0: yeah. So going back to James's comment, I think you're saying that in obviously the reviews that you reviewed. Didn't present their results in the combi model, and neither did the papers yeah. those no. views reviewed. However, you were able to extrapolate information, particularly relating to those areas of the combi model that you've just talked about. Yeah, um, and as James says, kind of in a, this retrofitting approach, um, draw out recommendations looking forward for therapists that um, you, you, have, you have pulled from this approach.
2: Yeah, so essentially what we've done is, is is coded these reviews using the combi elements yeah, to okay. see which are most frequently or less frequently referenced or observed across okay. the reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, the capability elements, so physical and psychological capability, are referenced far less than the other elements of combi across these reviews. Okay. Um, so I think considering those in future and whether people do have the physical and psychological capabilities to take part is, is is important going ahead
0: okay okay so that's that's really interesting to hear that um from the reviews you looked at you were able to make recommendations based upon some aspects of the cognitive modeling and, and less so in others what what do they look like in practical terms for therapists i know within the paper what one thing that i find fantastic it's just quite how usable the final recommendations are they're very practical they consider you know aspects of, of just the setup of the telepractice intervention yeah. um could you tell us a little bit about yeah,
2: So I think I think these are these recommendations are things that uh, actually when you look at them they're quite straightforward and they're easily overlooked um because some of them obviously seem quite obvious. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know, going by what we found is actually that they're, they're not referenced or observed at all in the literature. So, for example, physical capability might involve making sure that the, the child and the parent have sufficient skill to work with the technology suggested, especially important with all these advances in technology over the recent years
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, and different access to technology. So not every family will have appropriate access to the correct technology. So considering that, um, psychological capabilities. So does the child have sufficient attentional skill to manage that interaction online, Mm -hmm. Um, which is very much different. You can imagine a child who perhaps has ADHD might find that difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, Physical opportunities, again, the right equipment and space, needs to be available for the child to carry out the session. Um and the parent needs to be made uh, needs to be clear what is needed in terms of time commitment because actually these interventions and these telepractice sessions have to be facilitated with children by their parents or the carers really.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As you say, they seem quite straightforward. Yeah. They are really practical recommendations that you have drawn from the evidence that, you know, give a a green light for clinicians out there to really carefully think about these, um, as well as, of course, thinking about the details of their intervention. So thank you so much for that. Um, Is there anything else about the sort of results and the discussion from your study that you'd you'd want to talk about at this stage? Uh,
1: Well, I I would just add that um, we want this to be useful in the years to come. Uh, it's quite clear that people were bounced into telepractice, just a mm-hmm. sure of what happened. Um, we are fairly clear that uh, people won't bounce out of it and then forget about it. People are going to use what is commonly called a hybrid approach where they mix and match. And m- my feeling is some of these, um, the combi aspects of it, could equally well be applied to people's standard practice, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the idea is that it would help them consider, uh, to practitioners to help them consider what they do in their clinics, but also the research community to consider what they need to be measuring, because all these, the comms of the COM-B, all have potentially have outcomes, you know, they're potentially measurement Mm. issues here about what you're actually looking at in the child rather than just the outcome uh, considered, for example, for phonological awareness or something or vocabulary, as you mentioned.
0: That's been a really nice introduction to those recommendations. And then, as you say, some of the, I think that another point to take away is that you have developed these recommendations in some areas based upon a fair amount of evidence, but in other areas, you found there was less evidence. So, what, what does that mean for clinicians looking to draw from this study? I mean, we always, in this podcast, I always say the podcast is an introduction please do go away and read the paper if you're thinking of drawing from the studies, because then you get all the detail and consider the applicability to that particular client in front of you. Um, But even before that, what what, what are the suggestions for clinicians out there? Is it that maybe this is a starting point and that it would be great for clinicians to uh, utilize some of the recommendations adapting them for the clients that they work with and, and then I guess evaluating carefully how their clients respond and, and tweaking accordingly. Yeah, I would that's... see
1: it as a start of a discussion Yeah, you know, and people to discuss it locally about where how they are dealing with these issues because my suspicion is if the literature is anything to go by that a lot of these issues aren't even considered by many uh, clinicians or groups of clinicians and I think there's a whole a, you know reading club or you know book club type discussion about where this fits in with what people are offering locally in okay. the future and how are they are going to balance it in terms of their hybrid and face-to-face work yeah
2: yeah and i think there's a lot more room for further research around um how different groups of children respond to telepractice mm-hmm. um, so there's some indicative evidence that for example children with autism May prefer this mode of service delivery, um, but it needs to be backed up by further literature. I think and and thinking about the acceptability of telepractice from a parent and and the child's perspective as well, um, and how different different uh, populations might respond differently yeah. to telepractice. So there's a lot more research and evidence to be collected around around
1: that. And I, th- I think I might just add, actually, that. We need to be thinking about what the therapist's well-being in using telepractice. We've all been zoomed out over the last few months. Mm. It's quite exhausting. And I think um, we need to be considerate of, um, I'm going to say the health, but the mental health perhaps, or the stress of the, on the therapist of using this model of service delivery. So it might work on a one-to-one with an individual, but if you're doing it all week, how, to, how well does that work? And I, so that's a consideration from our point of view as well. This wasn't covered in the literature at all. So it's pretty much ignored in the
0: literature. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I can see that, you know, even from submissions we've had to the bulletin, there's um, a real interest in telepractice, partly because, you know, let's say in a rural community, it might cut down on extensive traveling time and allow for not only cost savings, but also allow for um therapists to be seeing more clients throughout the day and it's interesting this point you make about um there is a there is a flip side to this there are demands put upon the therapist by using the telepractice model and, and those need to be carefully considered amongst all the other things
1: yes in fact you can apply the combi model to the therapist as well actually using in, in that sort of uh, those terms i think the the geographical reasons are very relevant and in fact that's where most of the telepractice literature has come from in the past is, is people in you know western australia or somewhere like that where there's huge distance to cover and it's really not practical for people to come to clinics mm-hmm. and that applies to a lesser extent in the uk but there are areas in the uk where that's very relevant mm-hmm. i think the other aspect of it, which is relevant to this is that it may give people access to services which they found uh tricky in the past. Yeah, uh, not just about geography, but it may be about the physical. The, maybe not simply the physical proximity, but the the ease of access to your therapist through through telepractice. You know, GPs are using this sort of technique, and it it should make services more equitable in their delivery. Mm-hmm. I think there's a strong thing, to, strong uh, idea to be uh, explored there, and to, we need to find out more about it.
0: So, you're, are you suggesting that there's potentially sort of communities that maybe were difficult to reach via standard service delivery that maybe via a telepractice method of delivery there could be inroads made?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there, there's quite a lot of evidence that there's some uh, social inequalities in access to therapy services. It varies a bit depending on what you're dealing with. But um, but this technique, this if you can call it that, uh, this, this this method of service delivery may overcome some of those problems and make it, Uh, make services more equitable as far as access is concerned. So that's partly about geography, but also about access in a more personal sort of sense. And I think that's one thing. So I think there's a, um, I mean, I I would worry about an economic model of this, which is just being driven by numbers. Because I think if you, and that's my point about stress for therapists, that if you fill your day up with these sorts of uh, interactions, you may burn your therapist out, because it's very intense, this type of work. Yeah. Um, so I, th- that's the point there. Uh, so if people are using cost drivers as the only rationale, I, I'm not sure that's very acceptable. But yeah. I think if you can improve access, you're getting into something much more interesting for
0: therapists. I just uh, wanted to offer you if there are any final take-home messages you have for listeners.
1: Uh, well, I, I was going to say that I think people ought to acknowledge that college has done a really good bit of leadership on telepractice. I'm not just being creep, actually, but because you're here, but I think it has been very productive. And I think there has also been these surveys that college has been doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a new one com- coming out, which we've been contributing to, which we're coming out in July, which is about telepractice in the context of public health, which we'd very much like people's input on uh, yep. coming around to you. So I think. It's worth uh, keeping engaged with college about this because I think it's an ongoing discussion. It's not just, oh, here he is, off you go. It's like a discussion yeah. for lots of people.
2: Yeah, I was just going to just repeat what James just said about the survey. Um, I think there's 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 so many unanswered questions yet around telepractice because it is quite a new um, recent development in service delivery. I think there's an important distinction between how telepractice is used for intervention um, compared to how it might be used for assessment. And there are some unanswered questions around the differences between those and the appropriateness um, of telepractice for, for intervention versus assessment. And I think that's one of the things that hopefully our survey in July will, will try to begin to tease out, tease apart those differences.
0: Thank you so much for that introduction to the paper. It's been really interesting to hear about the evidence that exists around the use of telehealth for children with speech and language and communication needs what recommendations can be drawn from this for practicing clinicians and to hear about the uncertainties that remain in terms of the recommendations i would say to listeners please do refer to the paper Jenna's touched on some of the things that identified but not all so there are lots more practical considerations for you to reflect upon when using a telehealth approach now Before we finish, I'd also like to refer listeners to some RCSLT resources that exist in this area. We updated our telehealth guidance in response to the changes in service delivery that happened as a result of the pandemic. So please do go to the website to check out this latest version of the guidance, which draws from expert opinion as well as the latest evidence. As I mentioned earlier, we've had lots of submissions to Bulletin, our professional magazine on this topic, so please do look out for those. I'm really excited to let you all know that we've just finalised the first draft of the programme for the RCSLT conference this year, and we've received lots of submissions around telehealth and service delivery, so we've been able to include verbal and poster presentations on this topic. Our conference is in October, and it's virtual this year, and the costs have been kept as low as possible, so hopefully it's accessible to everyone and clearly I'm completely biased, but I really would recommend attending to hear about all the latest goings on in SLT, including lots of great clinical work and of course, lots of research. One other thing I wanted to mention is a great resource that was produced by ResNet SLT and ESLA, which is a webinar that took place on the topic of telehealth um, a little while ago. For anyone that doesn't know, ESLA are the European Speech and Language Association and ResNet SLT, is essentially an an online slt journal club and they're a group of fantastic therapists who have a website a twitter handle and they host monthly tweet chats that are focused on all things slt research and as i say fairly recently together with esla they ran this joint webinar tweet chat with one of the other authors of the paper we've been talking about today so please do look that up and and actually in fact please do regularly check out resnet they have a, a twitter handle at resnet slt um, and you can join their monthly tweet chats with the hashtag resnet slt at 7:30 on the last wednesday of every month for what's always a really enlightening discussion about uh, different aspects of slt research just want to finish by making a plug for some other iglcd initiatives so um for rsd members you'll have seen our new look bulletin and we'll always have now one page at least in the bulletin dedicated to all things iglcd where we'll have things like news updates but we're also going to start having roundups of the papers published in the iglcd so um the editor-in-chief will be writing these and dr joanne cleland has written the first one in july thinking about recent papers published in the sort of pediatric um sphere so please do have a look at those it's a great way to connect with the IGRCD and and highlight the papers which you can go to if you're interested. Okay, thanks so much for that then both of you and um, look forward to further research in this area. Coming
2: Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you thanks so much.